Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. middle of our of a series of serving God and serving people and today I want to talk with you from Luke chapter 15 on seeing people through God's eyes seeing people through God's eyes he sees them he sees us differently than we look at other people he sees us differently than sometimes churchy people or religious people look at other people. And the background of this is found in the, the last, is found in the beginning of chapter 15, and the um, religious folks came and accused Jesus, and they said this, that fellow, who is Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're talking about the tax collectors and sinners of the day. How many are glad that Jesus Christ came and fellowship with you? How about that? He doesn't see people as people often see, but he sees them through the eyes of God. In these parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son of the prodigal son, there's three themes that occur in every one of them. One is the lostness of people. The other is that what, they, what the individual did so that they could be found, so the lost person or the coin could be found, the lost sheep could be found. And then there's also rejoicing. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one person that comes into God's kingdom that receives Jesus Christ into their heart and comes home to the Father than there is in 99 righteous ones being gathered together. Now, how about that? Now, I'm not saying that so you start missing church. I'm not saying that for that. But heaven is incomplete and the church is incomplete without those that God wants to save, and who his son, Jesus Christ, gave his life for. And he calls us to see people through the eyes of God and to be intentional about finding them. Without God, we're without hope, and we are without help. Our own self-goodness and our own help is not enough. We are lost, 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 with no hope unless God would intervene. It was in uh, 1963. I was just uh, 11 years old, so you can do the math. You want to know how old I am. And our, the song leader in the church, Ernie Seymour, and back in those days they had song leaders, not worship leaders, and that's just the way it was. And uh, he had been a coal miner. And the word came of, the news came over the black and white TV. It was in the, new, in the headlines of the newspapers of the Shepton 
mine disaster outside of coal mine, outside of Hazleton, Pennsylvania, northeast PA. What had happened, there had been a terrible mine collapse, and there were men that were trapped in that mine, 385 feet below the surface of the earth. That's a long ways. That's a long ways. This sanctuary is approximately 100 feet long. So it's 90-some feet long. So if you would take this sanctuary, and stack it four times on end this way, or one football field and another third, they were that far under the ground with no hope and with no contact. They were trapped, helpless. No one knew if they were dead or alive. No contact. But there was a new technology that they decided to try. And they drilled down there were many, many, many people praying and prayer meetings that were gathered. And the men that had survived, it turned out that there were three that were trapped in that mine. But they were husbands and fathers, neighbors. They were in that community. When the mine had collapsed, they found themselves in a narrow, narrow chamber, 385 feet below the ground. And what had happened, that the mine was mined out and it was a hard coal or an anthracite. And we grew up around that hard coal mining anthracite. And this one, this one was at a steep angle going into the side of the mountain like that. And once a mine was mined out, they would, on their way out, they would do a thing called robbing the pillars. And the pillars were the pillars of coal that as they mined deeper and deeper and deeper into the earth, they would leave pillars of coal that would support the roof of the mine. But on the way out, they would rob the pillars. They would take out the coal. And as often as not, the cave, the, the roof would collapse. But that was okay because it was there and they were here. And they'd work their way out over weeks and weeks and weeks. They were down robbing the pillars and they were filling the coal car, which held several tons. And there was uh, rail tracks that would head towards the surface and it would be unloaded. Then they'd lower it back down again. They'd load up several tons of coal. They'd bring it to the surface. And I can just... Uh, you know, if you've ever been particularly on the wooden roller coasters, how many know if you get near the top, it's click, 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 but something holds it from going backwards, thank God. You know, it's bad enough free-falling forward. I can't imagine going backwards. And as they loaded up this coal car and it was making its way towards the mine entrance, suddenly the car let loose. And it gathered momentum several tons and came off the track and went down and knocked the pillars out and the whole mine collapsed and they were trapped. Lost. Without hope and without help, there's nothing that could be done. But a new strategy was tried. And so it was a six-inch drill. Six-inch drill. Four drill. And they decided that they were going to try to drill down and in hope against hope, 
maybe they would hit that chamber where those men were. And they drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled. And miracles of miracles, they struck the place where they were. And there were two of them that were there, and there was one that the other two knew were just on the other side of them. But only one borehole, for whatever reason, could be drilled. And they lowered down food and water. And they kept them alive. And then they brought in a big, I think it was called the Bucyrus drill, a 17-inch drill. And all the resources of the government and the local people. And they started to mount up. But then there was a multi-billionaire by the name of Howard Hughes said, don't let anything stand in the way. Whatever I have is at your disposal. And they drilled this big 17-inch borehole down, and they lowered a basket down. And the first miner got in, and he came to the surface. And then they lowered it down. And my father and Ernie Seymour had gone up to this because it attracted thousands of people. There was hope that was being offered. And when the last man got in, and when he came to the surface, he was singing, she'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. A great song of joy and deliverance. You and I, without God, are hopelessly trapped. We're living in our world, and we're trying to squeeze every ounce out of it. But sooner or later, this world comes to an end, and there's no hope. But one day, Jesus Christ, through the mercy of God and the kindness of God, if you would, drilled a borehole from heaven. Exactly where we are, so that you and I could know him and forgiveness, and we could be saved. And I can't imagine anyone that would ever be trapped in a mind saying, no, I like it down here. I don't want to come up. And Jesus Christ, when he came, all of heaven's resources were poured into Jesus and the cross so that he could pay the penalty. And there was no cost that was too great so that you and I could come home and be rescued by the Father. Praise His name. And the Lord calls you and me as His church. He calls us to spare no expense. He calls us to be intentional. He calls us to do new things, whatever it takes, that we can plunge that hole down to people that are lost without God and lost without hope. And that's why we're here, friends. That's why we're here. And I want to share these three parables with us today. And I'm praying that the Lord will use them in your life and use them in my life to perhaps give us a different perspective of how we see things and what the Lord has called us to do. And also today, for everyone to know that there's no one that's too far from God. No one is too far away. No one is too lost in the wilderness. But what the Father's arms are open to us. The first parable that Jesus talked about was the lost sheep. 
to see people through the eyes of God because everyone matters to God. Everyone matters to God. No matter what people think of you, no matter who has turned their nose up or turned their back, no matter what your family has said or what your family is, or no matter what lies of the enemy have found their way into your heart, everyone matters to God. Praise his name. Luke chapter 15, verse number 3. So Jesus told them this parable, saying, What man among you? If he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous people or persons who need no repentance. One sheep represented one-tenth or one percent of this man's wealth that he had in his livestock. Um, today, if, if, you're, if your retirement account or investments are in the stock market, one percent swing daily anymore, it hardly causes a ripple. We've seen this past week it go up, go down 400 points. We've seen it go up 400 points. Then we've seen it fall back down again. And then you can check something, say, oh my goodness, it's plunging, plunging, plunging. And then you happen to check in the last hour or two and it's gone back up in the green territory. How many know what I'm talking about? And you just say, well, just buckle on. Just hold on. Just buckle. Don't get too excited. Don't just... But in that day, a, 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 one sheep represented a lot to an individual. There's something about farming that it gets in your blood, and you care for them. It's not just wealth, but you care for them. We had a good friend, that, uh, my wife and myself, that we met, Howard and Ann Hoskins, uh, in Springfield, Missouri. He's a rancher from Idaho, and he ra he's a rancher now. In Idaho, he started what they called the cow program, the Assemblies of God. And I won't get into all that, but it was where ranchers would raise calves and sell them and they give it to missions. And Howard had, it was really, really unique. He's a big, tall guy, just a person of bearing dignity and carries himself well. But he would, uh, we didn't live too far from him. He had bought a farm, and the farm was owned by Senator Robert Ashcroft, Attorney General. Ashcroft's father. He grew up on that farm, that, and, and he had bought that from him. It was a beautiful farm, and he had, he had his cows that he liked, a beef called Bronvi beef. And, but in the wintertime, when the, when the cows would start calving, um, I'd talk with Howard, and I'd, I'd remember I said, what are you doing tonight? Like that. And he said, well, he said, I can't leave. He said, the cows are calving in the winter night, and he said, I have to be with him. And he'd be out in the pasture with him when he knew one was going to have a calf. And uh, because he cared for them and he had to be around them. And I remember he, would, he told me some of the stories and the accounts that um, one night he 
the, the cow was having difficulty with the calf. And what's a calf? I mean, what in the world's a calf? If you don't have a calf, you don't have a calf. I mean, you know what I'm saying. But he reached, he stripped down and reached in, plunged way into the cow like that, way as far as he could to get a hold of that thing and to turn it around because it was, we'd call it being a breech baby, but they had to turn it around. Sometimes they would, if there was problems, if the calf was too big, they put what they call shackles on them. They'd reach in and they'd attach these things to their feet and then they would pull and pull and pull and sometimes even use mechanical means because the cow would die if, that, if she didn't have that. And so, and then there's sometimes, a, rarely but sometimes a prolapsed uterus that the whole uterus would come out and fall in the pasture and they would have to clean that off and bandage it up and push that in and get the cow up and moving. How many want to be a farmer? So don't complain about the price of milk. (laughs) They're not in it to get rich, I can tell you that. But it gets in their blood. And this man had a hundred sheep, and one didn't show up. And so he went, and he searched and searched because he had to find that sheep because left to itself, it would get torn up by the wild animals that was there. And he found this sheep. You know, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And he's calling out. But somehow he found this sheep that was now lost. And he put the sheep on his own shoulders so it couldn't run away again. Because how many know sheep can be headstrong? You know, if they want to go, they're all way. How many know you can be headstrong? I can be headstrong. Okay. Prove it, Pastor. Yeah. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to their own way. Okay. Yeah. But he laid it on his shoulder and he came back and he was rejoicing and they had a party. They had a party because he said this, this one that was lost has now been found. Come celebrate with great joy with me. God calls us to pursue the lost because everyone matters to God. In fact, we are diminished as a people, and as a church, if we don't pursue the loss that Jesus Christ gave his life for, we're diminished. God's care for his lost children is our model in relating to the lost. When I read the accusation of the hypocrites to Jesus, that fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them, I was challenged, and I want to challenge You with this are the tax collectors of our day and the sinners of our day coming to listen to me. Are they listening to you? What do we represent to them? Jesus calls us to seek them because everyone matters to God. Everyone. Everyone. The second parable is the lost coin. To see people through the eyes of God because all are priceless. And the story here was there was a woman. We put it up and I'll just tell you the story. She was a widow. She was, and uh, she had had two weeks worth of wages. And in those days, uh, to be a widow and not to have anyone to help you, you, you you were not very much in society. That's all she had, two weeks' worth of wages. No Medicare, no Social Security, no nothing else. No, no, 
no social care system, nothing, just her. And she had 10 coins that represented 10 days' wages. And she lost one. She lost one. This is like losing a tenth of your retirement in one day. But it's even worse than that because they are all priceless. And so she did something that I'm very familiar with in my house of, of four females, five females, my wife, very female, and my four daughters, very female. My, this, I'm trying to make a compliment here, so please receive it as such. There's something about I found in my life from my perspective, not putting on anyone else. There's something about being a female that what I've seen modeled, if something's lost, there's no rest until it's found. Husbands, can you say, thank you, Lord? Thank you, wife? Can you say that? Yeah, it's true. How many, el- how many other guys you found? It's, yeah, thanks, Bob. Okay, one. Two over there. All right. George, thank you. Any, any other takers? Thank you. Yeah. If I mention something to, to Chris that I can't find, I don't even have to ask her. She just goes into a mode. And she finds it. And she finds things that no one else can find. And thank you. Yes. Thank you. A lot. Thank you. And so this woman began to sweep her house and go in every corner and, and just, and she found it. She found it. She found a tenth of her income. And you know what she did? She called the neighbors. She called the neighbors. And she was so filled with joy, she said, we're going to have a party. Come rejoice with me because my coin that was lost, I've now found it and has been restored. And do you know that that's God's heart for you and God's heart for me and God's heart for humanity? And heaven rejoices once again because all, all are priceless before the Lord. I want to back up just a moment about being in the wilderness Sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ, we go through a wilderness time. And how many have been through a wilderness time in your life? Let me see your hand. Wilderness time. When you feel lost, you feel out of touch, nothing feels right, nothing is familiar, you're discombobulated, you don't know and you don't know when it's going to end and you have to fight the panic that wants to overcome and overtake you. I remember... When we were kids growing up in the state of Maine, we lived there for the first nine and a half years of my life. There's big timber, big woods there. And it was, happened quite frequently in the snow, in the hunting season, that a hunter would get lost. And when you get lost in the big woods and no one's around and there, you don't have a compass, you're, you're just nothing, you tend to walk in circles, big circles, a mile in diameter or two miles in diameter. And they would... What they would do, they'd start the chainsaws up because if you shot a rifle shot, it could echo through the forest and it was unreliable. So they'd start the chainsaws up and there was a solid sound. My dad told of one in a hunting camp where, where one of the men were lost and they finally found him and he, he was sweated through and he had 
lost his rifle and, and he was just wild-eyed. And when they got on his track, he had done nothing but run in big, 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 big circles. And fortunately, they found him or he would have froze to death that night. And we can find ourselves in the wilderness There's a word of encouragement when we do this is that we will never get out of the wilderness until you get out of the wilderness what God wants you to get. How many hear that? Yes. God doesn't allow us to be there by accident. You will never get out of the wilderness until you get out of the wilderness what God wants you to get. That's the an executive pastor, Lauren Fetty, who's at Calvary Assembly of God and Frederick. Maryland said that. So everyone is made in God's image, and all are valuable to the Lord. Everyone is precious in His sight. Last evening, we had the going home service. We celebrated for Nelson Acosta, and what a beautiful, beautiful service. I thought to myself, when I pass away, to have people speak of me like that would be the highest honor. And... um, One after another, people spoke of his testimony. But, you know, I heard that at one time he was homeless, but someone cared for him. Spoke a different language. He'd been in prison for many, many years, mostly in prison from his mid-teens on to his age 28. A lot of people would have written him off, but... Someone told him about Jesus Christ. And he came to the Lord. God saved him. Look at the results. We we do this. We have fun with this. But what it's all about, friends, on Palm Sunday is filling this place up so that more people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're worth it. Everyone matters to God. Jesus talked about the prodigal son, the lost son, because no one is too far from God. No one is too far from God. And this, the parable that he told was a, a, a man who was fairly wealthy, and he had two sons, an older son and a younger son. And... The younger son one day said, I'm, I'm tired of this, and uh, I, want off, I want off the farm. I want to go to gay Paris, and uh, so give me what's mine. And in those times, in biblical times, the eldest son would get two-thirds of the estate, And in return for that, he was expected to carry on the family values and to multiply that wealth and stay home and not move away and carry on the traditions of that family once his father, the patriarch, passed away. It was a very, very heavy responsibility, and he got two-thirds. And then one-third of the estate was divided up among the other siblings. But in this case, there was only one, the younger son. And so the younger son no doubt looked ahead and said, hey, I'm tired of this. Um, He's going to get two-thirds. I'm only going to get one-third, and I'm tired of being bossed around by him, and I'm tired of this and that. And he went to his father and said, give me my inheritance now. 
Doesn't that upset you just thinking about that? I, I can't imagine the gall to go to someone and say, all I value you for is your money, so give it to me now. And, but the man did, the father did. So he went away, the young son did, to a far country, and God's word says that he wasted it and he squandered the family's wealth. One-third of the family's wealth was lost forever in loose living, scandalous living, prostitutes, whatever it was, and he found himself, there was nothing left. And to make matters worse, there was a famine, and he as a Jewish, Jewish man who, who had been living high in the hog, no, he wasn't, he was Jewish, you're not living high in the hog, okay. But he said, maybe I can get a job with a local pig farmer. How many know you've hit rock bottom as a Jewish person Bible days if you're going to be hired to a pig farmer? And maybe, said he would, he would gladly have been fed with the husk. I just think a corn husk or whatever they had over there. If they'll give me some. But that didn't work out either. And he came to his senses and he said, I'm going to go home. At least I'm going to ask my dad. I'm going to come back in humility and repentance and sorrow. Say, Dad, I'm sorry. I've wasted a third of the family's wealth. But could you find it in your heart somehow to just take me in as a slave? All, all, all I want is a place to sleep and be protected. It's just something to eat. That's all I want. So he made his way back. And I, I can imagine what went through this man's mind, making up the story or what he was going to say. He not only had to face his father, but he had to face the elder son. And you know how older sons can be. I'm an older son. I'm the eldest son. We have to be in charge. We, you know what I'm saying. It's just, I don't know, it sort of goes with it. And I also know how younger sons can be. And, uh, but he's thinking, what, 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 what is he going to do? How is he going to look down on me? But if I can just be a slave. And God's word says this, that he was coming up that road, and I can imagine his head was bowed, and he was weak and emaciated, and he was so worried that his father happened to look out and saw a long way off a familiar figure. The gate, the walk of a son. All of you that are parents and have children, they don't have to say, Hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm coming down the driveway. You know all of your kids, and they all walk differently. And that father's heart, who had loved him and longed for him, and wanted him to come back, he looked up and he saw something. And it was his son. And he ran to him and he threw his arms around him. And his son said, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, please. And the father said, it's okay. You're welcome to come back. And he kissed him. He hugged him. He lavished the best on him, put a robe. They had a party. They killed the fatted calf and they put the ring of the estate on his finger. 
And that's what Jesus Christ does for you and for me because no one is too far from God, ever. None. Thank you, Lord. The party was going on until the night, and rightly so. I can't imagine. If you've ever lost a son or grandchild, someone that died before their time, what that's like. My son was lost, he's now found. And the eldest son came from the far-flung reaches of their estate, and he said, what is going on? Why don't I know about this? No one told me. I'm the manager around here. They can't. What are they doing? And he went to his father. Uh, we saw a clip the other day. I forget where it was, but uh, someone said, it was an older, older gentleman. He said, everyone bosses you around when you're a kid and when you get old. And so maybe he'd fallen into that. He's bossing his dad around. What do you think you're doing? And he said, son... Your brother that was lost has now been found. The Bible said he, was, he displayed bitterness and anger and selfishness, and he took great offense. And he said, I've worked for you all these years, and you've never thrown a party for me. And his dad said, son, but it's all yours. All of it is yours. Everything you can see is yours. It's yours. Because the third had been given away, and so it's now all yours. Anytime you want, it's yours. There's three people in this story. One's the younger son. He exhibited sins of entitlement. It's mine. Give it to me. Wasted his family's wealth. He rode on other people's coattails. But he, did, he realized his desperate need. And all he wanted was mercy so he could survive. And he humbled himself and came back. Then there was the elder son, sins. This is a challenge for his church because life became about earning, responsibility, and taking charge. He did feel the weight of the eldest son, but he chose to display doubt and bitterness and jealousy. It trumped the fact that his brother had been lost, was now found. He let that rule the day and let that rule his heart. There was no grace in his heart. He couldn't get past the offense of not being notified when the celebration was so great. All he could think about, I was overlooked. I didn't have a front and center part in this. He said in so many words, I know what's best, and no one else looks out for this place except for me. I'd have done it differently. Church, I want to challenge us that we don't fall either into the younger son where we feel entitled and we ride on every one else's coattails, because how many know everyone's needed in the body of Christ? But I also want to challenge you, particularly if you've grown up in church, that we don't look down our noses at anybody else because, thank God, God didn't look down His nose at us. His arms of mercy were open wide for me and for you. And then the Father, mercy and loving and a longing heart, and that's what God calls us to as a church, an individual, 
to long for people because they matter to God, because all are priceless and no one is too far from God. I believe, I believe that the greatest revolution that can happen in the church and in the individual life is when lost people begin to matter to us like they matter to God. We don't need another evangelism program But when we ask the Spirit of the living God to move on us and touch us so it transforms what we seek and what we see, we begin to lavish mercy, kindness, and openness on people. I'm so thankful today that there are so many different people here at Grace Assembly of God. Someone loved, someone cared. You didn't turn your face the other way. But I believe that God is calling us to go even further and even deeper to change us from the inside out. Now the good news is this. The good news is this. Today, today, the way back, there's a way back, and it's through Jesus Christ. He and our Heavenly Father reached down to help us. And all we do is say yes to the Lord. He receives us with his arms of hope and his arms of forgiveness and joy. To the elder son, the Lord would say today, let go and let God. To the younger son, he says, come home to the father. He's waiting for you. And to all of us, to all of us, keep our eyes on the horizon searching, seeking the next person that God wants us to touch with the good news of Jesus Christ. Praise his name. Amen.